to bringing design closer. Our goal is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organizations to become more human-centered in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. Can you believe it? But This Is Hate City is five years old. We've just passed 200 episodes on Apple Podcasts and we've been creating content regularly for that period of time. And if you want to help us out, there's two things you can do. Number one, you can leave a review for us on any of those platforms that you're listening to, such as Spotify or Google or Apple. And even if you don't want to leave a review, that's totally cool. You can go one better by telling people that you work with or you know that might listen to podcasts that might like the show. Help spread the word. In this episode, I speak with Michelle Walter, head of design ops at ANZ Bank in Australia. I've been connecting with Michelle for a number of months about all things strategic design in ANZ. And ANZ were my bank of choice in Australia, not out of a deep loyalty or anything like that. They weren't the most innovative banks for a very long time, but in September 2017, they made a really big ballsy statement, I felt, and they hired Ofer Yontoff as a chief design officer for the bank and also Michelle Walter as well as the head of design ops. In this episode, we speak about length around the growth of design internally at ANZ, what worked for them, what didn't work for them, and how to take the business on that journey as well. They currently sit at over 200 plus designers. So how do they hire for those 200? Is it purely a skills acquisition that they're looking for or are they hiring for purpose? This episode is a really good peek behind the curtain of an organization that went from, say, a stage two in the design maturity ladder where design is used as style and styling all the way through to where they are now. And according to Michelle, it's used to inform strategy. So stage four. Michelle is truly awesome and I know you're going to love them. So let's jump straight into it. Well, well, well. Michelle Walter, I am delighted to welcome you to bring in Design Closer. Um, for our, our listeners, maybe start off, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Um, so a little bit about me. So I am from Melbourne in Australia. Uh, I was born here um, and I've lived here basically most of my life. Um, I have spent the last seven or so years working at ANZ Bank um, we're the, one of the largest uh, financial institutions uh, here in Australia. We're one of the yep. big four, as they call it. Um, mm-hmm. We also have one of the largest in-house design communities um, from last count. Uh, we have 210 designers and, uh, you know, say the word designers, uh, all different disciplines of design. So we have nice. UX well, we're, designers. We're gonna... yep. so, yeah, I know that there's, there's lots of... Um stuff we can talk about based on the the amount of designers that you have there at the moment but maybe tell me what's your role in ANZ? Uh, So my role is uh, head of design operations Uh, so uh, my my role and my team are very much in support of um, enabling our designers to do their best work Uh, being a Mm. creative inside a large complex organization has its mm. challenges when a lot of our designers just want to get in there and do great work. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of what we do in design ops is uh, remove roadblocks. We put in processes and practices, but really one of the things that we focus on is uh, building a culture of design, uh, fostering creative, creative mm. community. And uh, we also focus on uh, upskilling our designers uh, and supporting them in their, their growth and development. Right. So there, there's a story that I'm going to come back to in a little bit more um, about ANZ and my kind of understanding of ANZ. But when you say a culture of design, what does that look like in your eyes? Yeah. Um, 
So a culture is one where I think creatives are, are open to sharing. Um, there is so much goodness and knowledge um, and expertise within within our design community. And I guess for me, mm. it's really thinking about sharing that more broadly so others can learn and grow themselves. Mm. Um, it's also about collaboration, not just with our designers, but how designers work with the rest of the business mm. uh, to really create impact in what they do. Um, yeah, so they're probably the main things that I think about um, when we think about the culture. And also, uh, I guess, design is not just limited to just designers. Um, we have different stakeholders across mm. our business that actually understand the value of design. So we're not sort of sitting in this quiet mm. corner uh, or under the basement somewhere in our building doing what we do. Um, we kind of share share the love and the knowledge and, uh, yeah, our expertise with, with the rest of the business. Just on that, um, it's very easy for us to build a design culture with 210 designers when they're all in one corner of the building effectively design culture when it permeates the rest of the organization i'm interested to know what are the kind of things that you've come up against when suddenly over the last oh, eight years is it um maybe it's been more probably since ofi yomtov arrived in the cdo position what are the challenges from the the organization um around justifying 210 designers um, so I'd say that the challenge or the opportunity for design mm. um, is really around changing the mindset from being very much a culture of deliver, 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 fast, yeah. um, being, being very product-oriented where decisions are being made by product managers and I guess senior managers and kind of flipping that on, on its head to saying, well, what do our customers want? Um, yeah, and thinking really thinking about user needs. So it's a it's definitely a mindset shift, and to be honest, also a cultural shift. Where we've had a lot of people work in the organisation; they're really smart people who've worked there for a really long time, and for no fault of their own, they're they're used to kind of their way of working. Um, mm. So bringing something like a design process into that, which I guess you know, in some people's eyes, can take longer or have have more steps or you know, yeah. spending more time with customers, um, you know, of course there are, there are challenges with that, but um, there are some really great areas of the business that have embraced design and really embraced, um, you know, uh, human-centred design, I guess, as a, as a methodology and had some really great success. Mm. But I guess I'm an ex-customer of ANZ. Like, so when I was in Australia from 2003 to 2018, I was, um, I was an ANZ customer had my mortgage, that everything, like, you know, I was uh, I was all in with ANZ, which annoyed some of my other clients when I was working at CBA. I was like, I'm all right I'm with ANZ, that's fine. But the, the systems that were in there when I first signed up in 2003 were exactly the same systems that when I um, left in 2018 in Australia. So I can imagine that there's people there that have been just used to these systems that are probably still probably in place or maybe at the point of kind of being sunset. What kind of things did you do or are you doing for people that have been in the organization for a very long time who may see, as you said, design as being an additional layer of complexity? Yeah. Um, are there, are there trainings? I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that piece. Like, you know, like how do you bring them along in the journey? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think uh, you're absolutely right. Um, so there's 
legacy systems and a ton of complexity still. But the good news is that there are, again, some really smart people in the organisation yeah. and leadership that are really trying to to change that. And there's, um, uh, you know, great new product offerings um, and they're absolutely, you know, so many teams are really trying to fix the plumbing. Um, so that that's the good news. Um, but in terms of, uh, I guess, thinking about... Um, teams adopting design I would say that our approach has been um, working with them and not sort of talking at them so one of the things that we do um, is we've started to run HCD masterclasses so it's quite common in sort of large organizations but it's not your traditional masterclass um, yeah the sort of half day sessions um, it's much smaller so they're um, smaller teams that come in and they're highly engaging, they're highly collaborative, and they're really generative. So uh, it's not like you have a bunch of designers um, who will talk at you for four hours, uh, give you a whole bunch of tools, and us as a team, we kind of cross our fingers and, and hope for the best that something will stick. We really invest the time um, in the masterclasses and, and follow-up sessions. So um, mm. in project coaching, we do a lot of, again, really taking that kind of people-first uh, philosophy and, and put the, putting that into practice. So no one likes, no one likes being told sort of, you have mm. to do this and you have mm. to embed design. Um, but I would say that our, our philosophy is really a bit of a slow burn, you know, give them a little bit, they can come to a masterclass, um, maybe they can walk out, you know, um, knowing a little bit more about prototyping and they might try prototyping on their project and then we find that, you know, it's it's incremental um, and then it sort of, uh, yeah, branches out a bit more and permeates out to yeah. other teams and more interest um, rather than this kind of push, push, um, I guess attitude where you know we come in the big HCD army, teach everyone design, and again you still cross your fingers and, and hope for the best. So I guess yeah. uh, in summary, sort of smaller teams, uh, more intimate interactions, um, yeah, and that sort of slow burn by you know trying one thing okay. or two and and seeing if it works. So what does the team structures like? Um, what 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 do the team structures look like? Should I say? within a typical project at ANZ? And how, how does that differ to other places that you might have seen or might have experienced? Yeah, so it depends on the project. Um, mm. uh, but some of our more, um, I guess, more more business-type projects um, mm. would have, you know, a, hopefully a sponsor, um, hopefully. Yeah. Um, it's always helpful. Know, they, might, <laughs> they, might, they might have a, a product owner or a business analyst, like tr- quite traditional um, mm-hmm. So people that would come very much from the business with a business mm-hmm. mindset with a focus on delivery. So they even might come with a whole lot of ideas, um, which mm-hmm. is great. They might even come with some solutions um, that they kind of just want to implement and, again, that delivery mindset and, and get out the door. Um, but I guess what we try and do is is really understand the problem that they're trying to solve, um, really take the time to understand those stakeholders. So, um, yeah, they might be in a squad. So ANZ, um, part of our business is uh, set up in the, the Spotify model. So we might have a squad that we'll work with. Um, so really sort of understanding the different roles in there um, and and understand how they want to work best. Um, okay. And I think I think what's important when when 
I guess we we try and bring HCD in is we really try and understand what part of the the project plan they're at. The the ideal is we get bought in at the start of a project, but it, it doesn't always work that way. Um, so we, we just try as we yeah. can, yeah, is to understand kind of where they're at and I guess meet them where they're at. Okay, so in terms of, I know it's a, it's a how long is a piece of string or, you know, each project is different, but is there, are there disciplines um, of research or disciplines of service design or disciplines of user experience? Is that the hub and spoke model that you were referring to? Like, do we have a, a central team of, of experts that drop into certain projects? It, would, it be, would you be able to tell us what that looks like from a, from a, from a day-to-day perspective? So we're not really set up in that way. So a lot of our designers are embedded in cross-functional squads. Okay. Um, but we do have a smaller pool of designers um, that are mostly strategic or service designers that would mm-hmm. get um, pulled into to certain projects that are that are high priority or you know on a on a um, senior executive scorecard, um, and they need you know they need designers really to work with them. Um, particularly in the front end of a project. Um, but most of our designers are, are embedded in squads, so in different product teams or service teams um, spread right across the organisation. So we're very much set up as a distributed uh, design mm. community at the moment. Um, so we're in Australia, New Zealand and India. Um, yeah, and that and we've been running that way for about three, almost four years now Right. Um, prior to that. Um, we were very, we were set up very much as a kind of in-house in-house design yeah, an agency. agency yeah yeah, yeah. which very much worked in that way where a project would come in um, and we'd kind of pick and choose from this mm. sort of centralized design team um, and we'd we'd send them off on on assignment or on a project and then they'd mm. kind of return to home base you know to anywhere from six to twelve months. Um, okay. Pros and cons of both models. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like you're you're pretty far up the the design maturity ladder. Um, if you're using you know design as a strategic uh, yeah. tool, if you want. So, how are you using the research that's been um, basically explored, and how does that inform um, the new bets or the the new strategic yeah. pieces that are going to come into in, into play? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, again, it depends on where uh, the the product development is or the the kind of project plan. Um, but what we what we try and do very much at the front end is, uh, if there is a project and they require uh, research at the start, um, we kind of swarm to that um, hmm. and make sure that. Uh, you know we're we're iterative on on how we run research that we brought in at the start and and throughout the throughout the project, um, and just feeding those insights as best we can. Um, mindful that uh, many projects try and run quite fast, so it's, yeah. it's a, it can be a challenge for some of our designers, um, mm. and also different stakeholders along the way have you know different. Um, I guess different takeaways from the research as well, um, because the customer might be saying one thing, and then there's their point of view as well, yeah. and they're the product manager. So there's that tension as well. So stakeholder management is actually, you know, one of the most important skills that um, mm. we can we can 
teach and support our designers on um, because they're even though they might be in a squad or they might be brought in um, for a, mm. a you know, certain phase of a project, um, making sure that uh, that kind of stakeholder management piece and everyone's kind of happy and, yeah, um, yeah is really important. One of the common problems that I see from speaking to lots of organizations is the glass ceiling for design is is usually pretty low in the organizational hierarchy and designers don't see anywhere where they can go. But I remember, I correct me if I'm wrong now, okay, I'm trying to remember back, Ofer Yamtov's uh, hiring in the CDO created, created ripples and I was working in government yeah. at the time and I was like, well, I Hands out, they yeah, they hold my mortgage. They they've hired a CDO. They take design seriously. That must be good. Yeah. And I was at that time, I was a little bit cynical. I was like, okay, see how long this lasts. Okay, and I, I wanted to see where where it was going to go because I remember I used to do work with CBA. The career growth for a designer tends to move out of design and into the business function. Yeah. What does a, a a career trajectory look like for an A and Z designer at the moment? Yeah. Um, well, the good news, as you just mentioned, is that um, he's still there. <laughs> he's still there. Ophiri's still there. Uh, he's my boss. Um, and I'm really grateful that I get to work with someone like him um, yeah. and, and that uh, to work with someone and for an organisation also where design has a seat at the table. We talk about it all the time. All the time. Um, and uh, it's a really powerful recruitment tool, I have to say. Yeah. Um, and really an engagement tool. And, and when we think about retention, Ofer is very present with our design community. And I guess he he has a pretty strong kind of, um, you know, uh, I guess mindset where even if you're a CDO, you do not take your kind of eye or hands off the tools. You're still, you're okay. still a designer. Um, and... You know, I think that really resonates. So he's kind of with the people, for the mm. people, um, which is really great. And, you know, I think that what he has shown to our designers is that over your career you can you can reach this level. And there are organisations that are, um, you know, open and willing to put design, a, you know, an executive of design, which is, which is just a great story. Yeah. Um, but to your point around pro career progression, um, so you can come in as a grad. We have a great graduate program. Um, we haven't had many designers, but like coming out of pure design school um, in the last uh, few years uh, coming into that program, um, but we'll be taking grads next year, which is great. Um, do you so have an affiliation with a uni? Sorry? Do you, do you have an affiliation with a specific university in Australia? No, but there's just, um, not specific, but there's um, a few sort of well-known ones. Um, RMIT. RMIT. Um, Monash um, have a really great, Swinburne uh, have a really great um, design. All Melbourne-based yeah. universities. What about the ones up in New South Wales? The customers oh, up there and students there as well. There we go. UTS. Okay, okay, yeah, there you go. Um, but UNFW. look, there's also some... Sorry. <laughs> also um some really great uh independent um institutions as well like yeah. general assembly do a really great job academy xi also do a, re a really great job to help mm. um designers get in get into industry um so they they do a great job um and then you sort of work graduate and then I wouldn't say we have a really strong sort of junior level of design designer we don't even even call them juniors um you just become a designer 
Um, okay. And that really depends on um, the breadth and the depth of the skills and your experience hmm. and really your attitude, I would say. Um, we have a lot of kind of few years out um, of school or, or um, maybe they've only had a few years work experience and they hmm. are unbelievable. Like yeah. they're just incredible. Um, so we really, we really foster that and, and really um, support support them on on their mm. growth in that space. Um, and then it goes quite traditional from there, to be honest. It's sort of senior, then you become a lead, yeah. and so forth. You, you go through. So w- one of the questions I had, and it seems from speaking to lots of the the designers in ANZ from just having conversations with you guys over the last couple of months, um you all know who you are and this sounds a little bit too deep, but you're very, um, you, you know what this is about. Okay. There's no, there's no deviation. Like, so each, each people are, they stand alone as, as strong individuals. So how do you hire for this? Because it didn't seem that that's been left to chance. Um, and if so, if there's a recipe that you want to try and share with us, um, how do you make sure when you're hiring people, that it's actually improving the culture um, because it's such such an important thing. At 210 people, um, low of averages, you're going to have a couple of people in there that um, mightn't fit the mold. Yep. Um, and also I want to talk a little bit more about agitators um, okay. a- a- after this question. So just okay. maybe start off by telling us, like, how do you hire and what, what are you looking for? Okay. Um, so I'll probably go back one step when i started at anz mm-hmm. we had no process to hire right. we had 11 designers that's, that's when they reached out to me yes i <laughs> <laughs> had 11 designers um really small team and no process where's the interview guide where's our recruitment partner surely we have one at anz Lots of questions. So I'm really curious and I I'd never yeah. worked in a large organisation. So I asked um, a couple of peers at the time, where's all this stuff that we need? Um, and to be honest, um, we, we built a lot of our, a lot of our frameworks. Uh, we created the process um, and even, even like six or seven years ago, uh, design ops as a function um, mm. really leaned in into the recruitment process. That was the priority. Build the team, yeah. find the right people. Um, we want diversity of thought really back then. Yeah. We want designers from all different backgrounds. Um, we spent a lot of time uh, in, in kind of the setup of, of recruiting the designers and then we saw this great opportunity um, because when they landed, they're like, they sold the dream and we've got all these great people in and the onboarding experience is rubbish. They don't even know how to turn on their MacBook. They can't connect to the network. And then again, we saw this opportunity to create a really great onboarding experience. So we spent time. So we spent time with them um, thinking about yeah, what a great recruitment experience would look like finding the right partners, finding the right people to run the interviews. Um, yeah. We didn't even know how to do that. Um, and right through to how do we make them productive from day one and how do we give them a really great experience for their first six to 12, six to 12 weeks, however long they, um, they mm. needed us for. And that took time, a lot yeah. of like dark bags under our eyes. Um, but I would have to say that kind of 
for years um, putting systems and a process and, um, you know, kind of simple artifacts in place to really get that engine going really paid off. And as part of that, um, we were supporting hiring managers who weren't from design. So that meant that instead of, again, if I went back, we had hiring managers just hiring any designers. They were like, well, I need a designer. A designer would turn up to an interview and they're like, you sound okay. And yeah. we're like, did you see their portfolio? They're like, what's a portfolio? I'm like, oh, right, okay. So, um, yeah, really, really, I guess, supporting our team and then supporting the business that were hiring designers outside of our team um, was really important. And we, when I say support, it was from writing job ads right through to that onboarding experience. So, And, and we still do that today. So it means that... Um, we hire the right designer most of the time, of course. Mm. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. Right? Um, for the right role. So fit is really mm. important. Like right <clears throat> discipline, right work. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and we really make sure that fit is right. Um, and then we look for cultural fit. Um, for me, it's just kind of a bit of I've done a lot of interviews in my time. Um mm. I can probably tell in the first 10 minutes. It's just a feeling I get. That's that's. There's no secret sauce there. Um, yeah. So that's me personally. But I think that one of the, um, if I take myself out of it for a moment, yeah. one of the things we look for is are you clear and intentional about um, the problems that you've tried to solve, how you've solved them, and what have you learned? It's like a really simple recipe that we look for when we interview candidates. If you can tell mm. that story in a really clear way, you're like 10 steps yeah, in already. Um, I, so any I, graduates listening to this, that's yeah. that's the secret it's sauce the there. That's the things. kind of stuff you get out of this is HCD, folks. Save yourself some yeah. time and energy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of that simple formula. Um and, you know, I've seen really experienced designers who will talk to us for half an hour about themselves. Talk, 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 talk. I'm like, you sound great. And then uh, I had an incident recently where I asked someone who's <laughs> experienced. Um, I, I said to this person, talk me through um, one of your projects. They're like, oh, but I've prepared five. I don't need to see five. Just show me your favourite one. And they're like, but it's really hard to choose. I'm like, just show me one. Oh my God. <laughs> show me one and tell okay. me a really great and tell me a really great story. Um, and we kind of got there in the end. But I think that that um, balance of if you can tell one to two stories really well, you don't need to spend hours and hours, you know, preparing five case yeah. studies or five projects. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the ones that didn't go so well either. Like, that's, yeah. Tell me about the ones That's, that didn't get shipped. I think that comes with experience though. And um, one of the things whenever I'm coaching people, and especially if they've been in an organization for a long period of time, the whole interview process and hiring process becomes this kind of, I don't know, diff- difficult space to even talk about. Yeah. Um, and the more conversations you have, the more able and capable you are to talk about your work and what, what works and what doesn't work. And you write that first 10 minutes piece, you can just kind of feel at ease, kind of going, okay, well, I know I can ask them any questions. They've kind of done enough to be able to talk like that. Yeah. What advice do you give to people, though, who are, are new to design that mightn't have those five projects? 
um, and they might just have one or two projects from university and they're looking to crack into get, yeah. get a gig at ANZ. How should they approach it? Um, I, I, I've done a lot of mentoring the last couple of months and, and a lot of um, the conversations that I've been having are, are exactly what we're talking about. How do I crack mm. in? I don't have a lot of experience. Um, and I guess the advice that I come back to time and time again is be yourself. Mm. Don't apply for roles that are senior design roles and come to me and say, Nishi, I don't understand why I didn't get the job <laughs> because they're senior. Think about, go go to where you, you should kind of be at um, and go for those kind of junior, um, go for an internship. So the first advice I would give is um, be, uh, yeah, be quite specific and mm. um, be really clear on the role that you're actually going for. And when it comes to presenting your work, be yourself. Be yeah. authentic and say, I've I've only got one year experience, but these are the three areas of design that I'm really interested in. Um, and tell me why you want to work for ANZ from what you know. Yeah. Why ANZ, not NAB across the road? Or why don't you want to work for a startup? What There has to be something that interests you about working at ANZ. And you could say mm. to me or our team, I'm really impressed that you've got a CDO. It's like, yeah. oh, that's cool. You've done your research. It's great. Or um, I see you're building. Michelle Walters there. Yeah. Sorry. Or Michelle Walters. Or Michelle Walters there. You want to work with me? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, always flattery is always a good one. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So yeah, that's probably the second thing I say. So be yourself. Be authentic. Kind of say where you're at. Um, There's no kind of right or wrong. But the third piece of advice um, that I give is. If there are things that you do that relate to design, if you write on Medium, if you have your own blog, if you're yeah. making a, an app for a friend of yours that's a florist, put that on there. Yeah. Put any kind of design, um, any kind of your design work, whatever it is, put that on there. Um mm. Uh, I'm mentoring a guy in Sydney and he's awesome and he's transitioning from being a, a project manager in architecture to design um and he started to write on medium which is amazing he was like oh i was writing about um bicycles and the design of bicycles i'm like great put it up there get it out um yeah uh yeah and just just kind of simple things like now it's on his portfolio and it's just a lovely read like it's yeah it's really true to him it says an awful lot that's true to him as well i'm sure like his own interests and his own passions yeah one of the things that i get faced with quite a lot and i want to ask um your perspective on this question is somebody who maybe sees or hears about ux okay and ux is a it's still a relative shiny bright thing to an awful lot of people and they might do a course in it but their previous role was say senior graphic designer or um, senior BA or any of these kind of things. And then they go, go for those jobs as senior UX people. Yep. Um, how, what's your thoughts on that? Where should they enter? Um, I get, oh, it's a hard one. It's a hard one, isn't it? It's a hard one. Because they're bringing um, lots of other experience to the yeah. role. They're bringing, um, like if they're in a BA role, they'll understand an awful lot of the agile processes, presumably. And, um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, this doesn't happen in every case, but um, Mm. something that we try and focus on is, you know, what are the skills that this person might have at their call um, and what are the skills required for the role? 
So if they are similar or there's a nice match there, we say, okay, well, you might want to transition or um, a lot of the skills that you have are transferable. Um, but I think it also depends on a couple of factors, the work, the work to be done, the kind of pace, the velocity, you know, of the work, um, and also the team that this person is in. So um, sometimes people would ask, oh, you know, I'm going to go for this role at ANZ. Um, I'm interested, you know, my background is leading teams um, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that and that's kind of where I want to uh, continue my career. I might look up the role. You know, I've got the magic powers at the back end. I can understand a little bit about the team. And, you know, sometimes I'll go back to that person and say, you're not you're not going to be in a people leadership role so you will be on the tools pumping out assets um you know so i i think just really understanding what the person is after with their skills is that a match to the role i mean as best you can um i think that uh, it, it could be a really good match um but i it, it does put a lot of um i guess a bit more work on the person oh. who's applying for the role to kind of dig a bit deeper and also for the person doing the interviewing or the hiring manager to really understand what they're hiring for and those oh. skills that are needed. Um, yeah, because some are easily transferable um, and others might not be or might not yeah. be aligned from a, um, you know, career and growth perspective as well. So yeah. <laughs> One of the things that we were we were connecting originally around was the learning and development program at ANZ. Um, now, as a as a kind of a, a big thing, we wanted to talk a little bit more around. You mentioned about this being an incredible way of of hiring people. Tell us a little bit more around the story of the learning and development program and some of these uplifts that we're we're referring to. Okay. Um, so ANZ have a dedicated learning program for our designers. Uh, we started about four years ago. Uh, we ran a survey and we ran some interviews uh, with a, a smaller design community then. I think we're about 80, uh, 80 to 90 designers. Wow, um, okay. We, yeah. You've grown pretty quickly. We've grown pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> remember, we started at like 11. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we were about 80 or 90 and uh, we, we ran some research and um, one of the things that we asked our designers um, was around, you know, how is ANZ supporting, supporting your growth? And I just remember <laughs> looking at the results. I think we got like 1.5 out of 5. It was really? abysmal. Yeah. Um, and lots of great verbatim, great but like harsh um, and basically there was nothing. Um, it was really um, confusing. Some of our designers didn't even know that ANZ had some some pretty solid, um, you know, growth templates and development plans and and that kind of thing. And um, the other the other big kind of you know uh, allergic action was to designers weren't having conversations with their managers about their growth and development. So it was a huge sort of opportunity. So we took that insight, series of insights, and we said we have to do something with this. And we were trying mm. to recruit pretty quickly. Um, and at the time, which on reflection is a similar um, situation to what we're in now, you know, it's a really hot market. And even then yeah. um, we had a lot of startups um, all building in-house teams and, you know, paying a lot of money and we just needed something to to hang our hat on. So 
to make designers choose A and Z over over the kind of startups or other other companies. Um, yeah. Down the road. It's super, so, super competitive. I want to stress that to anyone else out there. Australia is really yeah, hot for really designers small, and always has been. Yeah, a really small talent pool. So mm. we thought, is there something in this um, around this idea of supporting our designers' growth and what could that look like? So as uh, many great design projects started off as uh, a very small brief, bit of a side of the desk, could we get this thing happening? Um and one of the things that we focused on really early on, which we still do today, is focused on skill development. So when we think about capability programs or, you know, uplifting, uplifting mastery, um, we still come back to this idea of skills. So how can we support our designers to really, to really build their skills um, and grow in those skills um, and support each other and, you mm. know, the, maybe their, their teams on, on the skills that they've built? Um, so we started writing. Well, what does that look like as a designer? Yeah. What are the skills you need? Um, and yeah, we we came up with twenty five skills. Uh, we ran a whole lot of workshops. It was run as a very um, slick design project. Um, we we scoped it. We planned it. Um, and uh, yeah, ran a whole series of workshops, which were really fun. Did a whole bunch of prototyping. I was um, I was reflecting the other day. Someone found some of our original prototypes in one of our cupboards at the office, mm-hmm. and they were done on the photocopier. Remember that yeah. old thing, the photocopying machine? Yeah, black and white. And I found yeah. this beautiful um, black string from this um, stationery shop up the road. So I was hand stringing all these paper prototypes and sending it around to people across the business to our designers. And that was a way that we tested and learned. So super, super low fidelity. Yeah. Um, we even uh, sent one of those prototypes to um, uh, quite a senior executive uh, and asked for her feedback and she loved it. She was like, and What is- was it though? Was it, was it a book or? It was a book. It was a book. Yeah. So it ended up being a booklet. Yeah. Um, so a hand-strung proto- a photocopied booklet um, and we we kind of played around with this idea of is it a booklet, is it digital, and then we kind of went full steam ahead and said let's publish a book. Um, so did we you? published a book. Yep, we published a book. Wow. I'm going to show wow. you. There's our book. Wow, nice cover. <laughs> That's the back of it, yes, is it? Or the front of it? Um, and inside the book is cool. – um, a description of all of our skills that we feel like our designers should have. Mm. Um, And we described uh, each of the levels of those skills. So when you're starting out at a certain skill, what does that look like? Um, And when you're an expert, what does that look like? So again, being really clear and intentional about our expectations of our Mm. designers. um, And we kind of packaged it all up into just a small 126 page book. Uh, that we gave I mean, out it was very ceremonious and um and that resonated. the reason why i love that is i think it's so easy for us to kind of go we'll do a website that way we don't have to <laughs> yeah. print it out and that way then it can update and we don't have to yeah. and then some people might kind of go and it's better for the environment too yeah. which we all know is wrong listen to jerry mcgovern's podcast on world well, waste go. folks but um i mean the whole fact that there's something that's tactile and you have it in your hands and it's it's there is is meaningful 
and yeah, it shows absolutely. that there's something you can you don't have to be online to watch it it says an yeah. awful lot like you know yeah. um there's there's probably a whole host of other things we can chat about at length around this and stuff but you, you've got this thing the learning and development program we mentioned about it being great for hiring people but how, how does it affect retaining people yeah. because it's one thing to throw money at people and throw learning and programs learning and development programs at people um has that had an effect on churn on people churn um no i wouldn't i wouldn't say but uh it's definitely helped with engagement well, our okay. engagement scores uh there's a there's a really interesting um i think they run it twice a year now it seems to change i think it's twice a year there's a bank wide survey um they yeah. a bunch of they ask a whole um bunch of questions yeah around engagement around mm. inclusion around risk and one of the um questions is I feel like ANZ gives me the opportunity to learn and grow on, on in yeah. my job. Um, and we are fortunate that we can filter those results. So the, the survey goes to 45,000 people and everybody in our system who identifies as a designer or an experienced designer, um, we can filter our results. We use that um, those responses as a way to measure the effectiveness of the program. Um, okay. And it's really powerful. Um, yeah. Again, thinking about uh, measuring success in a way that our business stakeholders and our sponsors would understand, and this survey is a really powerful way to do that. Um, so, year on year for the last year, four years, um, we've tracked we've tracked uh, those results. And last year, and they've gone up every year, which is incredible considering we've had mm. two years of a pandemic. Um, last year, I think we hit eighty one percent. And mm. just as a as a really interesting data point, uh, ANZ uh, without the filter for designer, so how ANZ uh, responded to that more broadly, uh, they were at seventy six percent. So the design community wow, okay. were were above the kind of average for ANZ, which is really cool. That's brilliant. I mean, it's a success story. But I've got one little last question, if you could just squeeze it in. And you mentioned oh. about the metrics that the, the stakeholders are looking for. Can you tell us a little bit more what metrics there, other than um, um, churn, which we discussed, like engagement was one. Are there any other ones that you're allowed to share? Yep. Um, so one of the things that's really important when we think about metrics um, for this program is every year we write out OKRs, but one mm -hmm. of the things that we're doing more so in probably the last two years mm -hmm. is uh, we're aligning those OKRs to our strategic scorecard so what do our senior stakeholders expect um, or want to achieve for the year when it comes to to building capability what does that look okay. like yeah um, and we're also asking our designers so we kind of think about well what are the needs of our design community um, and how we're going to measure the, su the success of the program based on that and then what does the business need so a really yeah. great example is um uh on the scorecard it talks about building uh building capability in key priority areas pretty loose statement and one of the areas is leadership so this year um we said right well for our learning program um how are we going to focus on leadership how are we going to show that there is a clear alignment between what we're doing 
and uh, what what the business needs um, and helping them to kind of deliver on that scorecard. Um, so we had, again, this kind of small idea that's turned into something really big and exciting um, and at times a bit scary. Uh, we've, um, I guess, spun up a, a different stream of, of our program, which is called Creative Leaders. And part of Creative Leaders is bringing a small cohort of all different types of design leaders. So you could be at different stages of your career, um, you could be a, a current leader, an aspiring leader, a people leader, a craft leader. Um, and we've brought a small cohort together um, for a 24-week program. So really mm -hmm. intensive program um, where we're focusing on um, really, really uplifting their capability and their understanding of what um, an impactful design leader means at ANZ. Um, so that's something nice. we're new, that's something new we're doing this year. Um, and then we've got the other other kind of skills um, that we're doing as the other part awesome. of the program. But, yeah, we're really focusing on um, that kind of creative leaders stream. We've never done it before, um, yeah. so it's really exciting. But it's a long program and it's it requires a lot of dedication um, and involvement from our designers. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be a really great story. And for us, that alignment piece to what our senior stakeholders are asking to, you know, us to help deliver yeah. on um, for the year is really important. Look, I've had such a good time speaking with you. If people want to reach out to you um, and find out more, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? I love LinkedIn. <laughs> you do, actually. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I don't have any, I'm not on any other social media, so you can't find me anywhere else. All right. um, I'll throw a link to your LinkedIn. On, you can, uh, in the show you can notes. find me. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Michelle Walter. Um, I am on there often. Um, yeah, please reach out. I'm I'm always happy uh, to talk about design operations. I'm always happy to talk about um, culture and community, which is really close to my heart. Um, and I'm also happy to share a lot of the learnings um, that I, you know, myself and the team of. Um, have have come to I guess learn ourselves um, on our on our growth and development program that we've awesome. built over the last couple of years. Michelle, thanks so much for your time and your energy. Take Thank care. Thank you for having me. It's been one. Anytime, anytime. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.